This is a Federal News Network podcast. The more Congress debates spending, infrastructure, and taxes, the more convoluted it seems to get. It's starting to look like two football teams in the red zone in a game with infinite downs. For what to expect this week, WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. And so far as we speak, Joe Manchin, uh, Mitchell, has not switched to the Republican Party, throwing the majority in the Senate over there. So that's about the only thing that can probably make it even more complicated. Yeah, there are so many moving parts right now related to all of this. But the Democrats last week really made a lot of progress. And there's been a lot of skepticism, of course, whether they would actually get close to the finish line. They are actually getting close to the finish line. And we'll pour through this. While a lot of details still need to be worked out, Democrats and the president, as I said, making progress, settling on close to around $2 trillion, maybe a little bit less over the next 10 years. That's a big drop, of course, from the over all three and a half trillion dollar plan and many Democrats wanted something even higher originally. So of course that's led to a lot of reductions and we can go through some of them. The Medicare expansion is one of them. Senator Bernie Sanders has been pushing hard for expanded coverage for dental, vision and hearing. Now the vision and hearing may remain because they're a little less expensive than the dental but uh, it looks like that may be eliminated though the White House and lawmakers have floated the idea of creating a voucher program for dental benefits. They're talking about a program that might be a voucher of around $800, which would allow the benefit to be more immediate and get to people and still not be completely cut out. But that's a big series of uh, billion dollars over and over again related to all of this, actually hundreds of billions of dollars in that program. So that will have to be carved out. Other provisions we know from the president himself, who spoke in a town meeting last week, said that tuition-free community college is no longer in it. But there are a lot of education initiatives that are still in it. And one that it seems that most Democrats want to keep is universal pre-K. And in fact, the aforementioned uh, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, actually in West Virginia, they have universal pre-K. So he has been a supporter of that. So that's a key backing for that program. And then expanded assistance for child care also is in. The child tax credit, a lot of Democrats really like this. They like to tout it as a middle class tax cut. They really would like to keep it going. How Speaker Nancy Pelosi said if it were up to her, it would be extended indefinitely. But she also knows about these major issues related to costs. So the child tax credit may only be extended for about a year. And then another big issue has been elder care, which a lot of baby boomers are, of course, dealing with. But that looks like it's going to be slimmed down. A lot of these programs, as you know, they're talking about shrinking the timeline so that they won't be as expensive over the long term. Well, then that's sort of like a gimmick, I guess, because if you make it shorter and then you'll just renew it in five years or 10 years and these things are pretty kill proof once they exist, then it's still three point five trillion or 10 trillion or whatever. Right. It could easily continue, depending on who's looking at the numbers, it could easily bloat to well beyond uh, what they're talking about, close to two trillion dollars for sure. Yeah. And so does that give it a better chance of having acceptance with Republicans? Right. Well, Republicans are still just going to be completely hands off on this. They don't, uh, frankly, if it got down to $1 trillion, I don't think any GOP lawmakers would go along with this. They basically want to make the Democrats sink or swim on this whole program. So they are totally hands off and they are letting basically for, for the last several weeks as these, uh, as the sausage making has occurred, they've been content to stand on the sidelines and basically let the Democrats go at each other. And they did for a while. 
looked like the Democrats were in trouble a few weeks ago. But this past week, they really decided that they had to show that they were making some progress. I think there was a lot of concern, frankly, on the political side, that a lot of polls were coming out showing that Americans really weren't weren't sure what was in this so-called human infrastructure plan. They didn't really know what it was all about. They kept hearing figures that were thrown about. And so I think the congressional leadership of the Democrats decided we've really got to move along with the president and show that there is some progress and that the Democrats can govern because the Republicans have been taking shots at them repeatedly saying, look at all this disarray. They do you really want to reelect these people in the midterm elections? Sort of reminds me of that old-time horror movie. What's in this bill? It's us. You know, <laughs> right, Soylent exactly. Green here or something. <laughs> We're speaking with WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. And what about the IRS funding? That's a big piece of this. They were talking about some major funding there, which goes along with some of the tax plans that the Democrats have. And those are also, let's say, debated a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really interesting issue because uh, the Democrats initially have said that they thought that if they could crack down on a lot of people who are not paying all of their taxes or maybe not even paying taxes at all, that they could really lift the amount of money that is going into this program. Senator Cinema, Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, has really upset the apple cart a bit with the fact that she does not want higher taxes on corporations. So now Democrats have really been scrambling to find all these different funding sources and looking for the proverbial change in the huge couch of America. And they repeatedly are going to the IRS trying to figure out, is there a way that if they step up the enforcement with the IRS, that they can actually get more money and help pay for this? Now, the Republicans last week really went after the Democrats on this. Uh, While some Republicans have supported efforts to step up enforcement, last week they basically, uh, many of them decided to look at what the issue was in terms of Americans and privacy. And you heard in various hearings, whether it was related to the topic at hand, uh, Republicans speaking out against basically the IRS snooping on um, Americans and saying that they were going to look at levels of income that were much lower than many people expected. Democrats have been trying to push back on that. So you are going to see a back and forth on this. But certainly the IRS part of this is going to remain in the equation. All right. And switching gears here, there is the federal employee vaccine mandate. And there are some deadlines coming up there with more people having to come under this. What are you seeing from the Hill's perspective? Well, there is concern about the fact that uh, many federal agencies and DOD have been, while they've been making progress, uh, those dates that seemed like they were months away uh, when the White House and the administration announced these deadlines, now they're really coming up. And even though the technical deadline is November 22nd, because of the amount of time that it takes for the vaccine to fully take effect, two weeks essentially, really the effective deadline is essentially November 8th, which is two weeks from now. So a lot of scrutiny now from members of Congress looking at what is going to happen with these agencies. For example, TSA, Florida Congressman Carlos Jimenez from Florida, as I mentioned, he's worried about the TSA not having enough workers when the holiday travel season begins, which is only a few weeks away before Thanksgiving. Uh, One of the recent estimates is that about 
about 60% of TSA workers are now fully vaccinated. So he was pushing last week to make sure that the TSA has some kind of plan in effect in case they get a real shortage of workers in the coming weeks. And then you look at various agencies like the Veterans Health Administration. They are actually starting disciplinary procedures because they had an October 8th deadline for people to get vaccinated. And as Federal News Network has reported, VHA has also had more people applying for medical or religious exemptions than it normally does in a typical year for flu shots. So they're trying to deal with that. A lot of other agencies dealing with similar issues, uh, although their deadlines are pushed back. And then, of course, the real big one, the Pentagon, has put out a memo warning that those who don't get vaccinated by November 22nd can be fired. Now, that won't happen right away. Those that don't get vaccinated will essentially undergo a five-day counseling and education period. If they still refuse, they'll be suspended without pay. And then if they still don't get vaccinated after that, then the paperwork goes into effect and they start to move to fire these people. Defense contractors will also need to be vaccinated or have negative COVID tests when they arrive on site. And if you're visiting a military facility, you will need to be vaccinated or have a negative test. Overall, the military branches say compliance has been pretty high. It's actually much higher than in other areas of society. And as for the federal agencies, Vice President Kamala Harris met with Labor Secretary Marty Walsh last week to go over the progress on vaccinations with all these agencies. But certainly a lot of uh, attention from members of Congress here to see how these agencies are going to be dealing with all these issues. It makes you wonder, though, if there is mass separations of people because they did not get the vaccine Can the government sustain that in terms of being able to get the work done if you have to get rid of so many people? Right, exactly. And that was one of the issues related to TSA that I was mentioning, because that one is immediate. You know, some of these other agencies, it may take a while and the the slog of work may uh, start to build up. But uh, something like TSA, where you have people actually uh, starting to get on planes a lot more than they used to, uh, that's a real immediate issue. So there is concern among lawmakers about how these agencies are going to deal with potential shortages. And finally, a question about, and I want to talk about the process here, not the politics, because I I don't know whether Steve Bannon is devil incarnate or a saint, but he has been found in contempt of Congress, and the vote has been bipartisan to some degree. And when they say he could go to jail, what is the mechanism by which that actually happens legally? Because Congress can't, they don't have bailiffs to go out and get people, do they? And, And the marshal service is part of the executive branch. Right. This is a really interesting issue that really tests the proverbial checks and balances of government. And what we have found over the last several years is that when former Trump administration officials or when they were in the administration uh, decided not to uh, go along with a subpoena from many of these uh, committees, that it was something that, while it had happened in the past, it was pretty rare. And then it happened frequently. So there's been a real test of those powers of what these uh, committees can actually do. And so now you have the January 6th House Select Committee saying that Steve Bannon, after the full House voted last week, that they would uh, approve, they approved a resolution saying that he would actually be held in criminal contempt. But what happens then is since the legislature generally does not get involved in the uh, law enforcement, uh, as, as you mentioned, then it's up to the court system and up to the Justice Department in this case. So uh, right now, ultimately, 
Presumably it's up to Attorney General Merrick Garland to decide whether or not to go ahead with prosecution. And they can either take it to a grand jury or they can do it in other ways. But the Justice Department is being counted upon. Uh, and by the way, the president backtracked on some comments that he said these people needed to be prosecuted right away. He then later said that he made a mistake in making that comment and said the Justice Department needs to be independent. So they will go through their normal process of reviewing this case and then deciding whether or not Steve Bannon could be prosecuted. And then, of course, it could wind its way through the courts with appeals and all of those type of things. Now, to get to your other issue, what's also really interesting is there is the uh, history of what's called inherent contempt, which has been actually touted by Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, who's a historian and constitutional scholar. And he has pointed out that Congress does actually have the power through the sergeant at arms to actually jail people if they refuse or defy subpoenas. However, that goes back a long, long way, and it really has not been done in any time in recent history. But just uh, as a a bit of trivia, when it did happen, what they would often do is they would have sergeant-at-arms go and get people and they would hold them in conference rooms here at the Capitol, uh, basically until they complied or they, they felt that they had served out whatever term that they had to serve out. But uh, that does not look like it's going to happen anytime soon in connection with what's going on currently. So far as we know, there's no hidden chamber off that brick hallway way down in the basement where right. you might find iron tools and skeletons there. Right. It's not like a professional football stadium where they uh, put the drunks downstairs. You know, uh, there is uh, really no jail here in in the Capitol, although perhaps some people in the U.S. public may want to see something like that at times, but certainly not right now. Mitchell Miller is Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. Thanks so much. You bet. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, And in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's chief of legislative affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. 
How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. 
It's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.